Can I take a quick selfie? I, I just want to have you guys in the picture because like pretty good group here tonight. I think maybe I'll get a better angle from up here. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. This is like, yeah, you're right. Go sideways. This is, uh, this is like the middle section. What's that middle section? Ah, get in there. Boom. Okay. Let's try that one more time. Stop giving me advice, okay? All right? This side. Ah! One more. The last one, I'm not even smiling. Okay. And then Pano, of course. I cannot keep the arrow. I can never do this right. Slow down. Okay, camera. Right on, right on. Okay, thank you. We are, uh, we are starting a brand new series here at 707. Now, the way that this works, if you're, if you're a visitor, the way this works is we, we tend to speak in series. So we'll pick like a topic or a, like sometimes even a book of the Bible or something that we might be struggling with or dealing with. And we'll, we'll go at that topic for a few weeks on end. We'll hit that topic from different angles. So this is the portion of the night where like we, we don't socialize, but we, we kind of listen and we just have openness. And it's not like, um, it, it's hopefully beneficial. It's hopefully beneficial. So we're, we're, we're trying to make this part of the night beneficial, interesting, and fun all at the same time. And what we're starting a series on, um, it's a series called I Doubt It. And this series is completely about our doubts and how we come to God. And sometimes we doubt that he's real. Sometimes we doubt that he can do what, what he says he can do in his word. Sometimes we doubt ourselves and our ability to follow him. We have doubts as it relates to our faith journey. And, and sometimes we have mixed feelings about those doubts. It's difficult to really make sense of them. And we're going to walk through and we're going to talk about doubts for the next three weeks. And tonight is part one. So I encourage you, I invite you to come back and catch all of the parts um, of the I Doubt It series. I think it's going to be beneficial for you, especially if you're one of the many people in this world and in Christianity or outside of Christianity who struggle with doubts. I have three children, most of you know, um, my, my six-year-old is named Charlotte, five-year-old. How old is she, hon? Five. Okay. Her birthday's in November. She's five. And um, thanks, dear. Thesis. Don't tell Charlotte I asked that. Although she might like that she was thought of as six. Anyway, recently, without me asking her anything, she came up to me and said, Dad, when I grow up, I'm going to be the queen of Michigan. And I said... We had been recently talking about the Queen of England. I said, oh, wow, honey. Um, you know, Michigan doesn't actually have queens. And she goes, she looks at me like, didn't skip a beat. She just looks right at me in the eye and goes, well, I guess I'm just going to have to be the first. <laughs> just like that. Like, just, and like, I mean, if you have a conversation with her, like, she, like, a part of her, like, believes. Like, she can be the first queen of Michigan. And here's how she dresses on a daily basis, so I kind of believe her. I think I've got a picture of her. Um, yeah, right there. Yeah. <laughs> Dressed as the queen. Uh, no, that's not a daily basis. She had a dress-up day for preschool. So that's Charlotte right there. And she is. She's like our little princess queen girl who's going to someday be the first queen of Michigan ever. And, like, just without skipping a beat, she had that response. It's, it's interesting sometimes how kids just have this great imagination. 
this great ability to believe in this world of imagination. It's like they get so wrapped up in, in movies or in ideas or in, or in this concept of being queen that like they just, they like live and breathe it. It's like it's real to them. It comes to life. And in some ways we can admire a child's ability to believe and to make believe even and just use their imagination. But I think as we grow older, something happens. And that something is that, that the doubt starts to creep in. Doubt starts to make a home inside our heads and our hearts. And it becomes not so easy to imagine, not so easy to pretend, not so easy to just believe things. And sometimes those doubts are for good reasons, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're not, but sometimes they're, they, they belong there. Um, when I was leading the middle school group here at Oak Point Church. About three, four years ago, I was in charge of the middle schoolers. Um, so a lot of you I've had for a very long time. One of those people who I've had for a very long time in the group is a guy by the name of Alvin. Um, and we went, where's Alvin? Is Alvin, uh, he's, he's, he's hiding. He's right there. There's Alvin. He stood up for me. Thanks, Alvin. So... Alvin, uh, Alvin's been in the group since he was like in the sixth grade. And, and, and uh, one time we went, when he was in middle school, we went on a trip to Cedar Point. And when Alvin was in middle school, Alvin had never been to Cedar Point before. That was your first trip to Cedar Point. Am I right about that? Am I remember that correctly? And, and we were like, we're like Alvin, we're going to do all these awesome roller coasters. And he was like, oh, no, we're not. Like, I'll stand in line with you. I'll hang out with you. But then you guys are going to go, and I'm going to go do something else. And so, like, Alvin's idea of a good time was, like, little kid roller coasters and, like, the little rides that they had at Cedar Point. We're like, we were just starting to, like, harass Alvin, okay? And we're like, Alvin, dude, you got to get on, like, a real big boy roller coaster today. Like, we promise it won't hurt you. And and he was not so sure. So eventually I'm like, dude, Alvin, just, just listen to me, man. Just look at me. Let me start you off on like an easy one. Let's start off on like this safe one, okay? And he's like, all right, all right, all right. Maybe we'll start off on an easy one. I'm like, okay, let's go check out the Magnum, all right? Now, if you've been to Cedar Point a number of times, the Magnum is not like, it's not like huge like Millennium Force, but like before Millennium Force was a thing, the Magnum was the Millennium Force of Cedar Point. So it's actually a fairly frightening ride, especially if you're a newbie and you are terrified of roller coasters. That was Alvin. He was sick just looking at them. He, he was freaking out. But the nice thing for me at that day, the nice thing about the Magnum is that the line kind of like wraps in such a way that you never really see the tall peak of the Magnum. You know, like you can get through the whole line. I think maybe it's just one or two parts. I'm like, Alvin, look at that. There's a bird over there. Okay, let's walk around the corner. We're good. Um, and, and I just, I was able to get him through the line without actually seeing the track of the Magnum. And so I'm like, this is what I'm thinking. Okay. So before you judge me, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking all it takes is I'm just going to get him on a ride. Like if I get him on one, he'll love it. All that fear will go away. So like, even though I'm kind of tricking him and making him think that the Magnum's a baby roller coaster, he's going to get on it. He's going to love it so much. He's going to thank me at the end. So we get on the Magnum. Okay. And we're in the cart and then the bar locks down and you're like, there's no way there's no going back. And then it comes out, pulls out a thing, goes, you know, that little clicking noise as it comes up, it descends the hill. And Alvin looks up at the hill, like in front of us. And then he looks at me, he's like, Mark, what are you doing to me, man? What are you doing? You know, and I'm like, 
bro, it's going to be okay. Like, we're going to get through this together. And as we ascend the hill, he's getting more and more frantic. And I'm starting to think, maybe he won't live through this ride. <laughs> like, like, Alvin, have you, had a, have you had your heart checked recently at all or anything? Like, uh, and, and he is just freaking out more and more and more as we ascend this hill. And then, <laughs> and then we start going down, okay? I thought it was bad before. We start going down. Alvin was freaking out. I had to do a lot of reparation in my relationship with Alvin after this. In fact, Alvin probably does not trust me to this day. Just a little bit of him. Alvin, do you trust me? No, he doesn't trust me anymore. But Alvin, let me ask you something. How do you feel about roller coasters today? He loves roller coasters today. So this turns into a success story, okay? It's all good. Now, now when you, when you violate someone's trust like that, like in the future, I got to admit, Alvin has some reason to doubt me. He has some reason to doubt me. But hopefully, most of the time, a lot of times, we find that our doubts are unfounded. When our doubts are on people who are reliable, they're unfounded. Now, so people unlike me, I guess, is the, the moral of that story. Now, hopefully, I can be more reliable for Alvin in the future. But ultimately, sometimes we doubt because in the past, we've had a bad experience. In the past, someone or something has proven to not be trustworthy. And so we doubt. And sometimes our doubts are justified. And sometimes our doubts are just kind of formed within ourselves. So at times we, we, have, we have doubt that can be a good thing because it protects us. But oftentimes, as we think about doubt as it relates to faith, many of us have this thought. Many of us have the thought that good Christians don't doubt. Many of us have the thought, the idea that good Christians never doubt, that, that a good Christian just wouldn't doubt God. Isn't that right? I don't think so. Let's look at scripture. In Matthew chapter four, we're going to open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter four. If you're weirded out by that, at 707, we get excited to open our Bibles. We believe there are words of life in here and that they're good things. And so we're excited about that. So Matthew chapter four, Matthew is one of the four gospels. The gospels are simply the, the stories that tell us about the life and person of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter four, this is during the ministry of Jesus while he's on earth, physically walking around in human form. And this is the very beginning of his ministry. And Jesus is meeting some people and he's challenging them to come and follow him. In verse 18, we're going to pick it up there. Matthew chapter four, verse 18. It says, as Jesus walked beside the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. The Bible says at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So when we read this passage, give me your eyes, when we, when we read this passage, in scripture, we think to ourselves, look at the faith of these people that Jesus could walk up to them kind of. And when we pull this out of context, like there, there probably were some interactions that Jesus had before. We have another account of this story where he teaches and they hear him teach first. We look over in John and we see that he's, he's probably met these guys before, but Jesus, nevertheless, he walks up to them and sort of out of nowhere goes, Hey guys, follow me. And this whole, this whole thing of them dropping nets is kind of symbolic. They're in a family business. And they don't go back to fishing for at least three years. And then after that, it doesn't become their career again. 
And so they're like with their dad and they drop their nets and they leave their family business and they move on and they just follow Jesus. Just like almost seems like on a whim. It's like, man, as we read this and sometimes as we've heard this taught, we think, what great faith. Now I have a question for you. Is there reason to think as we read this that, man, these disciples had great faith. They did have great faith. But is there reason for us to think they had no doubts in their mind? They have no doubts in their heart. As I read this, I see great faith. But you know what else I see? I see a lot of potential for doubt. I bet they dropped those nets a little bit apprehensively. I bet a part of them was saying, what am I doing? What am I thinking? Why am I, why am I leaving this family business? I have a stable life. My father's been planning to pass this business on to me for years, and now I'm leaving it. And they leave their livelihood, they leave the way they provide for themselves and for their families, and they walk away from it. Now, we think great faith, but I think I've I gotta believe there's doubts in their hearts as they do this. There's no reason to, not, to think that there weren't. Because anyone, any reasonable person in that situation would have some doubt in their mind and in their heart. We may get the idea from this passage, if we're not careful, that, that they never just doubted, that the disciples, the, the 12 who followed Jesus, who became the 11 after Judas betrayed Jesus, that those 11 never doubted. But scripture shows us that that is simply not the case. If we fast forward, so this is the beginning of the call. Three years later, Jesus gets arrested. He has a false trial, and then he's put to death on a cross. And as he's put to death on the cross, his disciples scatter. Once he gets arrested, they scatter. They run, they hide, and they're afraid, and they're fearing. They're like, this is not going according to plan. All the while, Jesus had been telling them exactly what the plan was going to be. He told them that he would be put to death. He told them that in three days that he would rise again. But as it unfolds, they say, this is not going according to plan. And they run, and they hide, and they scatter. What they did was, was they even, some of them went back to fishing for a time. But then the women in the ministry, the women who were following Jesus, they went to the tomb on Sunday morning and they found an empty tomb, right? And when they went back to the 11 who were gathered together in an upper room, they told them, we found an empty tomb. Angels appeared to us and told us that Jesus has raised up from the dead. That's what they report back to the group. And they were all like, awesome, yes, we knew it, right? No. In Luke chapter 24, verse 11, it says this after they report that Jesus has been raised from the dead. It says, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. So Jesus, his 11 remaining apostles, the disciples who were following him around, who had heard the plan, who Jesus told, he would, I, would be, I will be killed and then I will raise again in three days. Those same guys doubted. They doubted to the point where someone reported the good news that Jesus had risen from the dead, and they said, yeah, you're talking crazy. Yeah, that's what you would love to believe, but that doesn't just happen. And they doubted. They doubted the, that testimony. They doubted those words. Later, Jesus appeared to a couple of the, the followers, and they come back, and they report, we just saw Jesus. They're still not sure what to think. After, as they're getting this report that these two guys had seen Jesus, it says this, while they were still talking about this, this event, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do you doubt? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. 
A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. He even says it. He calls it right out to them. You guys, why are you doubting? I'm standing right here. Why are you doubting me? They're doubting. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Listen to this. He's showing them his hands and feet. He's appearing. He's talking to them. He's saying, look it, I'm flesh and blood. I'm flesh and bones. You can see I'm right here. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? To prove it to them, he had to take a broiled fish and eat it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He says, everything in the Old Testament that's written about me must be fulfilled, including that I will raise up from the dead. That's what I'm doing right now. The disciples, his 11 closest followers, the guys he chose to follow him around, the guys he chose to be the ones who take the message to the ends of the earth, the reason that actually we're still here as a movement of Christianity today, those guys began their journey with doubts. They had doubts. And oftentimes, us in this room, by the way, 70% of, of students within the church struggle with doubts, according to survey. 70%. So you are not alone. If you're sitting here going, yeah, I doubt sometimes. You're not alone. And doubt is not a bad word in this ministry. Doubt is not something that you're not allowed to say here. You can express your doubts freely. And we don't say, oh boy, wow, you don't fully believe what's going, what's wrong with you that you would doubt. No, we embrace that. We journey together through our doubts. Doubt is part of the process. 70% of us are wrestling with doubts. Those, those are the ones who come here regularly. And so if you're a, a new person here, like it's even probably a higher percentage and we're totally comfortable with that. Because what we see is that, is that there's, there's several things about doubts that we need to understand as we come out of this passage. These men, these people Jesus chose to follow him and then spread the truth around the world, they struggled with doubts, just like most of us here in this room. A few thoughts that I have for you I want to leave you about doubts. First of all, having doubts is a prerequisite to following Jesus. Having doubts is a prerequisite it's a hard word to say, to being a follower. And if you want to be a follower of Jesus, basically you're going to start with doubts. Now you don't have to. Being saying prerequisite is probably a little bit of an overstatement, but that's the reality is that all of Jesus' followers that we see here, they all struggle with doubts. And Jesus tends to pick people and it doesn't matter if they have doubts or not. In fact, they almost always do have doubts. And we see that from his top 11 followers, they had doubts. And so if you're here and you're struggling with doubts, you're in good company. Because guys like Peter, Guys like James, guys like John, these guys struggled with doubts. They struggled with doubts. Now, apparently the women, they were much stronger. They saw, they believed. The men, the 11 followers, they had much harder time. Once again, basketball proved it. This proves it. Women are better. Um, we love you guys. Um, but for the rest of us dudes, we, we are struggling. Now, again, I don't, I don't even want to give that impression, though, actually. I don't want to give that impression that no doubt is better than doubt, because that's not actually true either. Second thing, so first of all, having doubts is a prerequisite to being a follower. Second, having doubts is not the opposite of having faith. Having doubts is not the opposite of having faith. We saw in that story at the beginning where Jesus says, hey, come follow me, come follow me. And they did what? They followed him. They dropped their livelihood and they followed Jesus. They were obedient. I believe that they did that with doubts in their hearts and mind. I believe that they did that while still doubting. They were struggling with doubts as they took those steps. 
but we can see they also had great faith. They believed despite their doubts. I've been trying to teach Charlotte how to ride her bike these last couple weeks, okay? And she, two-wheeler style, you know, like she has been doing the whole training wheels thing for quite some time. And she, um, like, she can get really afraid of things and freak out and kind of clam up. And so, like, we're going and, and she falls and, like, her greatest fear in her entire life is seeing any amount of blood from herself, like, as soon as that happens, it's, it's over. And so, like, we were riding, and she, like, kind of slowed down and then stopped. And what happens when you stop? You kind of tip over, right? So she slowly tipped over. She put her hand down on the cement, fell. It was real light. It was real minor. And she looks at her hand. It just does, like, a little scrape, so that, like, loose skin, you know, that looks like. And she looked down, and she goes, ah! you know, screams. And she's super into Moana right now. So I'm like, Charlotte, repeat after me. I am Charlotte of Northville, Michigan. I will ride my bike and I will succeed. You know, something like that. It wasn't working. Um, but, but what I was trying to teach her was, hey, being courageous, being brave is not the opposite of being afraid. You're, you're brave and you're courageous when you do something while you're afraid. And in the same way, Doubt is not the opposite of having faith, but it shows greater faith when you're not, when you don't see and when, when you can't know, but you still trust that, that is great faith. And third big thought I want to, I want to leave you with is that Jesus invites you to follow him despite your doubt. Jesus invites you to follow him despite your doubt. You might be sitting in this place tonight and be like, I don't even know the first thing about the Bible. I don't know that much about God. I don't know if this is trustworthy. But Jesus invites you to follow him despite your doubt. When he started out, all of his followers doubted him. None of, he was unproven. None of them knew for sure. None of them knew. And again, 70% of youth who regularly attend church wrestle with doubts, and that's okay. And so when you sign up and you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, here's ultimately what you're saying. And maybe some of you need to take that step tonight. Say, hey, doubts have been holding me back, but I'm not going to let doubts hold me back anymore. I'm going to bring my doubts with me and I'm going to start following Jesus. And I encourage you to do that if that's been stopping you before. But if you say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, here's what you're saying. First of all, you're saying, God, I recognize you want a relationship with me. You created me to have a relationship with you. So that's what we're acknowledging. God created each person to know and love him and have a relationship with him. Just like you have a relationship with friends. He's not some distant God. He's not off in some foreign place watching. He didn't set the earth in motion and then get away. He wants to know us and be known by us. And ultimately, he does already know everything there is about us. But he wants to know us like a friend. He wants us to open up to him. He wants to teach us about who he is. God wants a relationship with you. Second thing you, you're signing up for if you say, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus. That second thing that you're saying and you're acknowledging is that I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect person. I mess up and I make mistakes. And that's true of every single human being in this room, that we all make mistakes. None of us are perfect. And, and God knows that. And we just need to acknowledge that before him. And all that means is we cannot save ourselves. God's perfect. We're imperfect. We cannot bridge that gap ourselves. There's this, there's this gulf between us and him because of our imperfection, because we've chosen to go our own way. When we say we're not perfect, it means we've done things by our own will that are against God's will. And, and we've all done those things. We all try to make our own way. We all think we can handle it ourselves, but ultimately God has the best plan. So God wants a relationship with us, but we're not perfect. So we need a solution to that puzzle. 
Jesus lived the perfect life and died for us. That's the solution. That's the third thing we're acknowledging if we say I'm gonna be a follower of Jesus, that Jesus came, he lived the perfect life, and after he lived the perfect life, he died a death that he did not deserve and traded places with us. He said, I'll take my perfect life, I'll take the perfect reward that I've earned, and I'll give it to you even though you have not earned it. And the punishment that you deserve for being imperfect and for going your own way and separating yourself from God, I will take that punishment on myself. And he trades places with us and takes our penalty and gives us his reward. And the last thing, because it's not just enough to know and recognize that those things are true, the last thing is, is you, just, you just say yes. You just receive the free gift that he's offering out to you. If someone offers you a gift for your birthday, you don't have to do anything to earn it. You just receive the gift. That's what he's offering to you. He's offering you a gift of eternal life and a relationship with God that can start now and go on forever. And it's free, 100% free, because he did all of the work. When we say, no, God, let me work for it, it's insulting because he came and he took on the penalty and he did all the work for us. He doesn't want us to try and earn it again. So God wants a relationship with us. We're not perfect but Jesus was perfect and he traded places with us and he offers us a gift that we just need to take, that we just need to receive. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And we can do all those things. We can acknowledge all those things and we can bring our doubts and our uncertainties along with us. And if that's you tonight, if you're thinking, okay, I'm not gonna let doubts hold me back anymore. I'm not gonna let anything hold me back anymore. I'm not gonna let my sin hold me back anymore. I'm not gonna let my self-doubt hold me back anymore. I'm gonna step into this. I'm not going to say I need to earn it myself anymore. I'm going to receive this. I'm going to receive this gift, and I'm going to start following Jesus. If that's you tonight, and you want to receive that free gift that Jesus offers to you, I'm just going to offer a prayer. You can borrow my words, because the words are important. It's the condition of your heart that matters. And if that's not where you're at, that's fine. We want to journey along with you, too. We want to meet you right where you are, and we want to talk a little bit more about how this plays out for you. But if you do want to accept that right now and receive that gift, I just encourage every person in the room to bow their head, close their eyes. If you've already received this gift, you can pray for those who haven't. Just pray that God would open up their hearts and their minds that would understand the decision that they're making. If that's you tonight, I just encourage you to borrow my words silently. And you say these words in your heart. Again, it's the condition of your heart that's most important. Just say, Jesus, I... I acknowledge that you created me for a relationship with you. And Jesus, I've gone my own way. I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. I've ignored you and your calling. I've ignored what you have planned for me. Lord, I've gone my own way. I've, I've made mistakes. I'm not perfect. But Jesus, you came and lived the perfect life. Jesus, you died a death that you did not deserve. And Jesus, you offered to trade places with me, to take on my imperfection and to give to me as a gift your perfection. And tonight, Jesus, May 10th, 2017, I received, I received tonight that gift that you're offering to me, that free gift. I accept that gift, Jesus, that you offered to me. And I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my life. I ask you to lead me. Help me to follow you. Help me to do the things that please you, not to earn something from you, but in response for what you've done for me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
We're gonna sing one more song together. I'm gonna come up and give some final instructions before we finish out our night. This song just talks about how Jesus is enough. We don't have to know everything. We don't have to have all the answers. But Jesus is enough for each one of us. Let's sing this song together.